0: Forty years ago, God delivered me from the bondage of China and gave me freedom. I was born and raised in a Christian home. My parents were school teachers and house church leaders. Due to their faith in Jesus, my parents' family properties and wealth were taken away by the government. For a long period of time, we could afford only one meal a day. And that meal for each of us was a quarter of a small bowl of rice. I had to go out to look for food from the public trash canes. In the summer of 1966, the Chinese government sent soldiers to our home to take our Bible so that they could burn it in the city square. Our Bible was protected through God's providential help. The soldiers searched our home for it three days and three nights. They took away every piece of furniture. They broke every window. They dug into the floor they destroyed the walls as well as the ceiling of our home. When they could not find our Bible, they began to do violence to us. They brought our family before the public, tortured our parents before us, and tortured us children in front of our parents. The soldiers asked my older brother, You want communism or Jesus? My older brother said, I want Jesus. He was taken away to be beaten. When he returned home, he was bleeding and seriously wounded internally. My father was taken to a labor camp. A Christian friend gave my mom $5 and urged her to take her son to the hospital. The doctors could not heal my brother, so he died in the hospital. Before my older brother died, he asked my mom to dress him nicely so he could look beautiful to see Jesus. My mom prayed with my older brother just before he died. After the prayer, he died with a smile on his face. The doctors and the nurses saw this and said to my mom, the God you worship is the true and living God. My dad was kept in a labor camp for 10 years, far away from home. There, he was tortured, beaten, ridiculed, the daily work he had to do was far more than he could do. So my dad worked from morning to morning. On many occasions, his persecutor said to my dad, you are a good man, just deny Jesus, we will set you free. My dad's answer was always the same, he said, Jesus is the true and living God. He is my Lord and my God. He is so good to me. So even if I have to die for him, I will never deny him. While my dad was in the labor camp, my mom was taken to prison three times for her faith in Jesus. On each occasion, the persecutors bound her with ropes, tortured her for 72 hours while she boldly testified before them about Jesus and his saving grace. At the end of each trial, after she fainted and fell, they threw her into a dark dungeon on wet floor next to an extremely dirty toilet, overflowing with human dung and urine. The old and cold blanket they put on her was covered with lice. Poisonous insects flew all around the dungeon and bit her. The sufferings were unbearable, beyond what human language can describe. Every time my mom was taken to prison, she led other prisoners and some of those who tortured her to Christ. While my parents were away in prison and labor came, I had to take care of my younger brother and sister. From time to time, soldiers would come to my home at midnight, break into our room, search for our Bible and threaten us until early in the morning. They beat me with their fist violently many times. They wanted us to send a message to our parents about this so that they would feel bad, yield, and deny Jesus. Our parents never denied Jesus. They rejoiced that they could suffer for him my family prayed for freedom. God heard our prayers. In his time, he set us free. He brought us out of China, first to Hong Kong, then to the U.S. He graciously gave me education and the privilege to teach at the Master's University, the most solid, conservative, and best Christian university in the world under the wise and godly leaderships of Dr. John MacArthur. I daily thank God for all he has done for me and my family, and I will forever praise him. Let us now turn to a message that I will address today. The title of my message this morning it's lessons to learn about the church, from Christ's letters to the Philadelphian. This subject comes from Revelation 3, 7-13, which reads, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut. And who shuts and no one opens says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet, and to know that I I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will go out from it, will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ's letter to the Philadelphians consists of six main points. One, an address to the angel of the church. Two, a fourfold description of Christ who speaks to the church. Three, a statement from Christ regarding his complete knowledge of the church. Four, an exhortation of Christ to the church. Five, a promise of Christ to the overcomer in the church. Six, a command of Christ to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us take a closer look at these main points and draw from them some lessons to learn about the church. Christ's letter begins with an address to the angel of the church. As chapter 3, verse 7a state, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, this statement raises four questions. First, what should we know about the city of Philadelphia? Second, what is a local church? Third, what is the meaning of angel? Four, to whom was the letter in chapter 3, verse 7, really written? Answer, Philadelphia was the youngest of the seven cities in Revelation 2 and 3, founded in the second century BC by Attalus, Philadelphos, one of the kings of Pergamon. Philadelphia was the city of brotherly love, the gateway to the east, the city full of earthquakes, yet agriculturally prosperous, an ideal for commerce. What then is a local church? A local church is a group of professed believers in Christ who gather together in his name to perform God's will as revealed in scripture, such as worship, Bible teaching, discipleship, fellowship, observing the Lord's Supper, prayer, acts of mercy, and evangelism who then is the angel. There are two main explanations. Some say he is a celestial being. Others say he's a human messenger. Which of these explanations is more probable? The human messenger explanation is more probable for four reasons. First, the Greek word for angel can refer to a man just as well as to a heavenly being. Second, scripture is silent about angels having charge over churches, while men are spoken of as leaders of churches. Third, other New Testament letters are written to people, not to an angel to give to people. Fourth, it is very natural to see how a man would deliver a book to a church. It is not as easy to see how an angel would do so. The letter in Revelation 3, 7 then was written to a human leader of a group of believers in the historic city of Philadelphia who gathered together in Jesus' name to do God's will. The statement and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, is followed by a fourfold description of Christ who speaks to the church, the second point of the letter. This point is found in chapter 3, verse 7b, which reads, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and whose shots and no one opens, says this. The text above says four things about Christ. He is holy, he is true, he has the key of David, and he opens and no man shuts, and shards and no man opens. First, Christ is holy. In what sense is he holy? Answer. The word holy means set apart. Christ is holy in that he is set apart to live in consistency with his own attributes. His attributes include eternity, righteousness, love, grace, goodness, mercy, and patience. Christ is not only holy is also true. In what sense is he true? Answer. The word true can mean genuine. It can mean trustworthy. It can mean faithful as distinguished from the false, the spurious or unfaithful. But the word true can also mean eternal, heavenly, and divine as distinguished from the human and the earthly only. In this sense, the word true signifies the highest, the finest, the most ideal realization, the complete in contrast to the incomplete. The perfect is distinct from the imperfect. Christ is true then in that he is the true one Namely, he is the highest, the finest, the greatest, the perfect ideal, the superlative, and the most ultimate example of what true can be. In John's writings, the word true is used often of Jesus. He is the true light. He is the true bread from heaven. He is the true vine. And he is The true God, Christ is not only holy and true, being set apart to live in consistency with his own attributes. And the most ultimate example of what true can be, he also has the key of David. What does it mean by he has the key of David? Answer, the key of David refers to the Messianic rites and authority in the dynasty of David to occupy the throne of David and to rule as God had promised. That Jesus has the key of David then means he has the messianic rights and authority in the dynasty of David to occupy the throne of David and to rule as God had promised in 2 Samuel 7.16. The meaning of has the key of David is further explained by the next description of Christ in verse seven. He opens and no man shuts. And he shuts and no man opens. This description shows that Christ not only has the authority to occupy David's throne, he also controls the entrance to the messianic kingdom. And has supreme power in the messianic kingdom. What Christ is able to do cannot be reversed by man. Nothing and nobody can undo the work of Christ. The fourfold description of Christ above is followed by a statement from Christ regarding his complete knowledge of the church. The third point of the letter. This point begins with verse 8. First, Christ says, He said, I know. In Greek, the word I know is a perfect tense verb, meaning I have known and I do know. Christ knew in the past, He knows now, He always knows. His knowledge of the church is complete, ongoing, and unbroken. But what does Christ know? In verse chapter 7, verse 8, Christ says, I know your deeds. The word deeds is a plural word referring to the works of those in the church as a whole, everybody. Yes, the Lord knows every effort that has been made for him. But what does the Lord know more specifically? What does he know more specifically? In chapter three, verse eight, quite specifies. He says, you have a little power. The power here includes main power, economic power, and the social standing in the community you have a little power to suggest that the church at Philadelphia was, a, was small in number. It was not a, a mega church. Its appearance was not spectacular. Not many of its members were wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble, not many influential in the strength And the size category, it was not significantly impressive. But the church was strong in Christ and faithful to Christ. In chapter 3, verse 8, the Lord not only says you have a little power. He says, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What can we say about this statement that has both positive and negative expressions? First, to keep Jesus' word is to obey his truth and to stand for that which is true. The expression, you have kept my word, recurs later in Revelation 3, 10, where Jesus refers to his word as the word of my Perseverance. This means that the church at Philadelphia not only kept Jesus' word, she also imitated Jesus' patience. She had paid the price of patience for keeping Jesus' word. Furthermore, she had not denied Jesus' name. To not deny Jesus' name means that the church boldly, openly acknowledged and confessed Jesus. She embraced Jesus. She honored him. She loved him dearly. She valued him highly. She placed him first. She was loyal to and committed to him and was willing to suffer for his name's sake. Because the church at Philadelphia had kept Jesus' word and not denied his name, Christ says to her, Behold, I put before you an open door which no man can shut. To what does the open door which no man can shut refer? Elsewhere in the Bible, the open door refers to the door of further opportunity in witness and in extending the gospel. Here in Revelation 3.8, the open door is the door of the future kingdom this means that Christ will open the door of the future kingdom to his own. Only those with true righteousness may enter the kingdom. Because the church at Philadelphia had kept Jesus' word and not denied his name, Christ not only says, behold, I have put before you an open door, he also says, behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that, they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. This verse of scripture invites special attention by repeating the word, behold, twice. And shows that the church not only was small, she also had enemies, enemies, these enemies claim that they were Jews, but they were not. Who are those who say they are Jews and are not? Answer, they are literal, physical Jews who have seeming credibility in their claim as Jews, but they are not Jews in the spiritual sense by heart circumcision. How then are these Jews a the synagogue of Satan? answer. They are a synagogue of Satan in the sense of John chapter 8, verse 44. There Jesus says to unbelieving Jews, you are of your father the devil, and the works of your father you will do. So the synagogue at Philadelphia is referred to as a synagogue of Satan, not because it is Jewish but because it is doing the works of Satan, namely being hostile to Christians. At the realization of the kingdom, Christ will subdue the synagogue of Satan, make them kneel before the Philadelphian believers, and let them know that he had loved the believers in Philadelphia. In Revelation 3.10, the Lord continues with his assurance. He says, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. In this verse of Scripture, Christ promises to keep the church from the hour of trial, which is about to come because the church has kept the word of his is perseverance. Two things are clear here. One, the trial in chapter three verse 10 is not local, it is universal. Second, the trial is not for the church, but for those who dwell on the earth. What is not immediately clear is the meaning of the expression, I will keep you from the hour of trial. In the identity of those who dwell upon the earth. What then is meant by I will keep you from the hour of trial? Answer. First, the words I will keep you from more precisely mean I will keep you out from. Second, the hour of trial is a reference to the future great tribulation period. Jesus speaks of this future great tribulation in Matthew 24, verses 15 through 21. The book of Revelation develops it in chapter 6 through 19. I will keep you from the hour of testing then means I will keep you out from the great tribulation period. This provokes a question how will Christ keep the church out from the hour of trial? One clue that answers this question is found in Revelation 3.11. Here the Lord says, I am coming quickly. This expression fits well with I will keep you in Revelation 3.10. It would seem that Christ means he will keep his church out from the hour of trial when he comes to rapture her before the future great tribulation period. This explanation is supported by three clues in the context. First, the world church never occurs in Revelation 6 through 18. The chapters that speak of the tribulation as it does in Revelation 2 and 3. One possible reason for this is that the church will no longer be present on earth in the tribulation. If the church is present on earth in the tribulation, why this difference between chapters 2 and 3, and 6 through 18? Second, in Revelation 19, 7 through 9, Christ's bride, the church, is seen in heaven already with Christ before his second coming at the end of the tribulation period. This indicates that the rapture will have already taken place before the tribulation period. Third, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 8 predicts that the rapture of the church must occur before the appearance of the Antichrist. And Revelation chapter six verse two shows that at the outset of the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist will have appeared. This negates the possibility that the church will be in the Great Tribulation. These clues just mentioned, reinforce the above explanation, that Christ will keep the church by a pre-tribulation rapture. Indeed, as God delivered Lot from trial, by taking him out of Sodom. So he will deliver the church from the hour of trial by keeping her out of it. So yes, all of the truly saved in the church will be kept out of the future great tribulation just as a man is kept out of a burning apartment building. Who then are those who dwell on the earth? for whom the hour of trial is intended. In Revelation chapter 6 through 17, those who dwell on the earth refers to God's human enemies who murder the martyrs, who worship the beast, who get drunk on the harlot's wine. Let us turn our attention to the fourth point of the letter, an exhortation of Christ to the church. In Revelation three eleven, the Lord gives his exhortation, saying, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, in order that no one take your crown. This verse implies that if one should succumb and stop holding fast to what he had, he would forfeit his crown. This implication raises two questions. One, what does Christ mean by the crown? Two, how and in what sense could a man take another's crown? Answer. First by the crowd, Christ means the crown which consists of eternal life in its full potential. Christ specified this earlier in Revelation chapter two verse ten. There, he promised this crown to those who trust him in faith that results in faithfulness. Second, a man could take another crown in the sense of preventing him from obtaining the crown by leading, intimidating, and enticing him into compromise with the world, with the flesh, and with the devil, into a life of denying Christ's name and his word. In the New Testament, false leaders diverted many from committing themselves in true faith and then from living the life of faith that leads on to the crown. In the immediate context of Revelation 3.11, hostile Jews, the synagogue of Satan, want to shut the door of the kingdom to the Gentiles. But true believers will heed the exhortation of 311 to hold fast to what they have. They will persevere. They will not turn away from the things Christ called them to face steadfastly. Others who have Only a professed relationship with Christ and his church will be kept from what true faith brings by the enemies of their souls. This clears the way for the fifth point of the letter, a promise of Christ to the overcomer in the church. In Revelation 3.12, Christ gives his promise. He says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. The text above begins with the expression, he who overcomes. Who is he who overcomes? Answer, he is every truly saved person. Why? First, the expression he who overcomes appears 15 times elsewhere in John's writings as a description of all born-again persons. For example, in 1 John 5, 5, the apostle John asks the question, who is he that overcomes the world? He answers the question: He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Second, in the immediate context before chapter three, verse twelve, he who overcomes is one who has kept Christ's word and not denied His name. This fits with every saved person. Third, in the immediate context after Revelation three twelve. He who overcomes is one who hears and obeys what the Spirit says to the churches. This characteristic of hearing and obeying is true of all believers. Throughout the book of Revelation, obedience to God's word marks all who are genuinely born again. Elsewhere in John's writing, the person who does not obey God's word is not a Christian. By contrast, the genuine sheep hear and follow Christ in an ongoing way. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, Christ promises that he will make the overcomer a pillar in God's temple. This promise raises two questions. One, is the temple real? Two, what is the nature of the pillar? Answer, first, the temple is real. In the spiritual realm, Revelation 21, 22 tells us that in the New Jerusalem, there is no temple of stone or wood. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The overcomer will become a part of the temple. He will have a place in the spiritual temple. He will abide in God just as he abides in Christ. Now, God is the overcomer's truest dwelling place. Second, the pillar is not literal. It's a symbol to help us visualize my analogy and grasp the spiritual reality. This is like the figurative concept of Ephesians 2, verses 12-22, to and 1 Peter 2, verses 3-10. In these passages, believers are stones in the holy temple, a spiritual house of the present age, The stones in temple do not mean literal stones in temple. They are a graphic picture for believers. And it's true the believers will have glorified bodies that are literal, yet of incorruptible substance. And each believer will be a pillar. But the pillar is not literal, unlike Lot's Lot's wife who became a pillar of salt. What then is the spiritual reality the pillar is portraying? What will it mean to be a pillar? There are two main possibilities. Either of them is wonderful. One possibility is that the pillar is a symbol of the overcomer's importance and that any overcomer will loom as important in God's dwelling place. This is as James, Siphas, and John were esteemed pillars among the churches in Galatians 2.9. All believers likewise could be portrayed as pillars just from the perspective of their eternal honor. All of the redeemed are destined for honor but the pillar could also be interpreted as a symbol of the overcomer's absolute security. This interpretation is more probable for three factors. First, security is the point in the very next statement in Revelation 3:12. The point in the next statement in 3.12 is that the overcomer will never again go out. He will never be excluded from the temple. The Greek text puts a special stress on this. It uses a double negative. He will never again go out. We see the same double negative in our Lord's promise of John 10 28, which reads, And I give to them eternal life, and they shall by no means ever perish. Second, the pledge of security that the overcomer will by no means ever go out from the temple would have been comforting to the believers of Philadelphia. Several earthquakes had dislodged the citizens of Philadelphia, causing them to flee to the countryside to fight temporary abodes. Third, Christ may be forming a contrast in Revelation 3:12, the contrast is people go out of temples in the present life, but the overcomer will never go out of his temple. He will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The prospects of being a pillar then is that of unbudging security. Christ will not only establish the overcomer as a pillar in God's temple, he will also associate the overcomer with himself by writing three names on the overcomer. What are the names he writes on the overcomer? First, he will write the name of my God. What could this name be? It could be the Lord is our righteousness. As God promises in Jeremiah thirty-three sixteen. 16. Jeremiah 33, 16 says, in the kingdom age, Judah shall be saved. Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. And the Lord is our righteousness is the name by which God's people shall be called. So the name could be the Lord is our righteousness. But this cannot be confirmed because Revelation 3.12 does not say what the name is. Whatever the name, however, it definitely stands for the full multiplicity of the glories of God himself is to each overcomer. The believer of old, exalted, God is my portion, and God in all his name suggests is the blessing the overcomer's heart will forever celebrate. Second, Jesus will. Jesus will write the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven. This name is easier to discern. For the last phrase of the description here in Revelation 3.12 connects the name with Revelation 21.2 and 21.9. These verses show that the name of God's city is the bride, the wife of the lamb. The bride in the last chapters of Revelation is a destination for the abode of all the winners. In Revelation 19:7, the bride is made up of all the citizens of that city. Elsewhere in the New Testament, all believers in Christ already have citizenship in heaven now. They will be granted access into the New Jerusalem then and they will delight in and enjoy the benefits of citizenship there for all eternity. In the present life, a husband deeply related to the wife he adores rejoices to call her his bride, his wife. As the prophet said long ago in Isaiah 62, verse 5, Christ will be jubilant, over his people as a bridegroom exalted over his bride. People of America's Philadelphia were overjoyed when the Phillies won the World Series in 2008. (laughs) Fans in Dallas turned out by the thousands in 1996 to celebrate the Cowboys Super Bowl championship. Yes, I citizens of a city can stir me into jubilation. But the greatest joy that can fill winners' hearts is yet ahead and only for Christ's winners. All the overcomers will celebrate what it means to bear the name of God's eternal city. Third, Jesus will write my new name. Again, he doesn't tell us what that name is, Possibly Christ's new name is that of Revelation nineteen twelve, A name which no one knows except himself. This is the name that no one has power over. It is also the name that is consistent with Christ's person, his work, and his character. And the overcomer bears that name because he is forever identified with Christ's person and work and has the marks of Christ's character. What then is the significance of Christ writing these three names on the overcomer? Answer, writing the names is possibly the Lord's way of drawing attention to his laying final claim to his purchased possession. Christ claims possession of all his people now. So why not in the future? To possess the names then, is tantamount to identifying forever with and belonging to God, the city of God, the Son of God, and all that is consistent with their names. Let's look at the final point of the letter. A command of Christ to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ's command to hear is found in 313, which reads, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This statement shows us three things. First, though this letter was written to the church at Philadelphia, it has application to all of the churches. Second, what Christ says to the churches is what the Spirit says to the churches. Three, all who can hear should listen to this message from Christ and from the Holy Spirit. Let us conclude this message. The church at Philadelphia had kept the word. The church had kept the word and propagated it. Though of little power, the church had resisted false teachers and not denied the Lord's name. Because of her faithfulness, Christ promised to set before her an open door, cause her enemies to bow down at her feet and keep her from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world. Christ also exhorted her to hold fast what she had in order that no one would take her crown. Christ seems to be pleased with the spiritual condition of the church for no direct threat of judgment is given here, nor is anything bad said about her. There is, however, an implication that if one should succumb and stop keeping the word, the benefits promised would be forfeited. The benefits for the overcomer include the rapture, eternal life in its final realization, Permanent security in eternity, as well as the privilege of forever belonging to and identifying with God, the city of God, the Son of God, and all that is consistent with their names. These benefits are true of all believers. Only the unsaved will not receive them. What then are some lessons to learn about the church from Christ's letter to the Philadelphians. First, the church must be holy and true because Christ is holy and true. Christ is holy in life and character and true in word and action. The church must likewise be holy in life and character and be true in word and action. First Peter 1 verse 15 says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conducts. Second, the church must fear Christ, submit to Christ, be loyal to Christ, and worship Christ, because Christ is the king. He has messianic rights and authority in the dynasty of David to occupy the throne of David and to rule in the messianic kingdom. Third, the church will always encounter satanic opposition when it faithfully stands for Christ. A commendable church is one that relentlessly resists the temptation to deny the Lord's name in his word today. The church is tempted to abandon the book of Genesis to science, to abandon salvation through the blood of Christ to secular anthropology, to abandon the Christian life through the spirit taught in the word of God to modern psychology, to abandon solid exposition of the Bible to shallow manipulative handling of the Bible. To abandon disciple making, to seeking rapid church growth through the practicing of the so-called signs and wonders, to modify the gospel message that has been given to us in the Bible in order to make it acceptable to our culture, to shy away from the biblical teaching on sin and hell, to substitute holiness for having purpose in life. To substitute divine judgment for demand, for social justice. To abandon opposite sex marriage to same sex marriage. The church must relentlessly resist this and other temptation. The church must keep Christ's word with his patience. Fourth, the church must remember that Christ has complete knowledge of her, that he knows her deeds, her needs, her difficulties, and that he will help her, will meet her needs, will vindicate her, will open the door of the future kingdom to her, and will reward her according to the degree of her faithfulness. Fifth, the church has eternal security and sufficiency is laughter, he will keep safe the church that has kept his word. He will write his name on those in the church who have not denied his name. He will strengthen the church that has little strength. He will keep the church out from the future great tribulation period by a pre-tribulation rapture. Let the church be encouraged and thank God often for these blessings. Finally, there are a few personal points to ponder. First, have you been faithful regardless of your church size? Second, do you keep Christ's word and honor his name? Do you hear and obey what the Spirit says to the churches? Do you live the life of faith that leads on to the crown? Or do you let the world, the flesh, and the devil prevent you from obtaining the crown? Third, are you anticipating Christ's second coming? Are you waiting for God's son from heaven? In Revelation three eleven, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, please help us to take our Lord's letter to the Philadelphians as a letter to us individually, to be rich in good works, true to you, loyal to your word, and unashamed of your name, to enter the door you provide, to persevere in present troubles, and to eagerly anticipate your coming with the great reward you have promised to the overcomers. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.